I don't know what you came in here with, but I do, do know one thing about being in our bodies in the flesh is that we tend to suppress and forget the awesomeness and the supremacy and preeminence of Jesus in our life. And then we come together as brothers and sisters and our hearts are reminded once again of what matters most. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood on the cross. Let us bow before our God and in the name of Jesus, pray with boldness. Father, you see your people. You dwell in the secret place. You know everything that's going through our hearts and minds. You know where we are being deceptive, where we are deceived ourselves. You know our affections. You're very much aware of where we still struggle and where there are sins that easily beset us. God, we all say thank you that your grace is greater than our sin. Pray that you continue to shower us with patience from forbearance, that you would cleanse our consciences of guilt and shame. You remind us even once again here for the hundredth or thousandth time that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And God, would you elevate our hearts to put our mind and our eyes on the summit where you are to see you as the king and the ruler over everything and to no longer be afraid of the empty threats of the devil, to not even be afraid of death as we know you are in control. And if we are a part of your kingdom, God, we win. And we have already won through the blood of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We pray that you'd help us this morning be with me as we open your word to talk about very exciting things, but deep things. Give us clarity and be patient as your people look towards the end in anticipation, trying now in the present to understand the awesomeness of your plan. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, brothers, sisters, you can be seated. Kids, go ahead and run on out to your time. We love you. Know that Jesus loves you and he is king. Everyone else, take your Bible, turn to the book of Daniel. Turn to the book of Daniel. I am so, so very excited. I hope you are too. We mentioned uh, the last few weeks we were going to be in the book of Revelation. And before that happens, before we dive into chapter by chapter in Revelation, we need a few weeks of groundwork. We need to, we need to go back to the Old Testament. We need, to, we need to go back and see where all of this has, has kind of started and what's led up to it. And then we need to go to a place in the New Testament where Jesus was speaking about the things that are going to be revealed in Revelation. And then get our minds and our hearts settled on the foundation uh, that the Bible sets for the end, for the time frame of the end. Maybe you've heard in our songs already just this, uh, um, this theme 
of God ruling and the enemies being under his feet and him, him being exalted overall. That is the theme we want to focus on because as we look towards the end, we are focusing on God who's going to bring in a fullness of a kingdom that will never perish. And those who possess the kingdom are his saints, are his people. And we're going to look at at least what we need to start looking at today as we talk about this new series called As the Day Draws Near, All the More What? I want to show you the verse that's uh, inspiring this. In Hebrews 10, 25, towards the end of the book, this is what we read. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the high calling of endurance 2,000 years ago by the author of the book of Hebrews to Hebrew Christians who were wavering in their faith to hold fast your confession. You, you began believing in Jesus. Your goal, your greatest, most precious thing that you have that we've already heard in first Peter is your faith more precious than gold that perishes may be found to result in praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we just read that in first Peter, Peter himself bringing up this constant reminder of this appearing, this revealing this day that's coming. We're told to focus in on certain things as Christians and especially As time goes on and the day gets closer, church, 2,000 years later, here we are, I imagine Peter and them getting a glimpse of what the church would look like 2,000 years later on the other side of the world. You better believe the, the, the anticipation and the exhortations that they gave to the churches at their time would be bubbling out of them. So all the more church, we should be focusing in on these things. You know, I see a trend, I see a spirit going through churches today. And the spirit is this, a fear to talk about these things. I see a spirit of fear and confusion to get in the book of Revelation. There's so much fighting. There's so many arguments. These things cannot be understood. So it's best to just kind of generalize the end. Let's talk about all the other things that are here for the present. And let's not talk about what's coming. I see that as a spirit of the enemy who sees that his time is short, that the end is close, that wants to do everything he can to bring confusion and frustration, and even avoidance of these things that the New Testament tells us to press into. All the more, we should be holding fast our confidence. We should be encouraging one another. We should be stirring one another. Let's be busy about what God's left us here, and we're gonna gonna focus on some of those things here today. So this is our theme verse for the series. As the day draws near, all the more what? So today, we're gonna go to the book of Daniel. We're going to look at the foundation for the end. We're going to look at the prophecy, the revealing, the revelation that was given to Daniel that was set with with very good math, very good time frame, uh, uh, very clear in some areas, uh, question marks in other areas that gives us the foundation for what we're going to be talking about. The foundation for the end is found in Daniel chapter nine. So let's start with this by answering a question. And I, I want us all to be willing 
to uh, read scripture together. I know that sounds strange. Well, of course we are. No, we're gonna be, we're gonna be looking at some scripture. We're gonna be working through some things. We're gonna be reading. And I don't wanna apologize for us to be reading. So, so I ju- you have that warning. I'm gonna have you turn to different places throughout today. It's gonna be a little different, but we need to see this. We, we need to have a mind that can see what God's doing to some point so our focus can be right. Here's the question I wanna ask. Who rules? Let me, whose dominion rules over heaven and earth? And I know we all have the Sunday school question going through our head, don't we? Jesus, you're right. But I really want us to have this question answered through scripture, especially through the book of Daniel. Because the book of Daniel is showing us who rules. Just because we know the answer to that question doesn't mean we're living the reality of the answer to that question because many of us are scared about the leader in China. Many of us are scared about uh, a certain leader in Korea. Many of us are scared about a leader in uh, Russia or uh, potential leaders in South Africa or leaders surrounding the Middle East or even who's gonna be the leader of our country. All of us worried about who's going to rule and what does it set in our heart potentially a type of heart that would resonate with everyone in the world who has no idea who's actually at rule. It should not be the case amongst God's people. A steadiness and a firmness. In the book of Daniel, God goes through great links in the lives of several leaders and through his people to make no doubt about it, who rules and who's in control of everyone and every nation and everything. So take your book, Go to Daniel chapter four and let's read some scripture. The first six chapters of Daniel are narrative. There's the story of God's people getting brought into the seven year captivity. And the first six chapters are stories of three, three different kings and Daniel living through all of them and things that, God, that God's doing in the midst of them and how God is helping his people. But Nebuchadnezzar is this Babylonian king that takes the southern uh, kingdom of Israel and puts them into captivity and God is at work. We're gonna talk a little bit more about the timeline here because I wanna get your head around it. But what I want you to just see here is who, who rules. So Daniel chapter four, drop down to verse 17. Daniel chapter four, verse 17. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. He's very disturbed by the dream. The dream is about him. This is what it says. This, the sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to. And if you know the story, Daniel's able to tell him the interpretation to the vision. But you have here already, Nebuchadnezzar is being introduced to the most high who rules the kingdoms of men. Most high who rules the kingdom of men. Let's keep going though. Drop down to verse 24. Verse 24 says this, this is the interpretation, O king. It is the decree of the most high, which has come upon my Lord, the king, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of a time shall pass over you. 
till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. If you know the story, this pagan Babylonian king who was the head of all kingdoms of that time exalted himself and looked at it all the work of his hands and he took credit for it. And God is now going to humble him with craziness. And why is God doing this to this king? He tells us the purpose here. Until you know that the most high rules. Oh, I find that fascinating. Therefore, king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed. That there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity, but it goes on. If you read in verse 28, read with me. And all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty, pay attention, all of us as men and women who would dare take credit for any success in our life and not give thanksgiving to God and glory to God. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Keep reading with me. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, notice now who's writing. Nebuchadnezzar is writing this. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever. Notice what this pagan Babylonian king says about the kingdom of God next in his own song. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. You know, we read this Maybe you don't know the story. Maybe you're hearing this this first time of God humbling this king. Maybe too simply our application of this just goes to, well, I need to not be humble. Absolutely true. But you're seeing God, though, giving you a display of the mightiest king on the earth and how even they bow to him. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. But it keeps going. Go to Daniel chapter 5 with me. Daniel chapter five, Nebuchadnezzar dies. His grandson inherits the kingdom and he is a horrible king and God is going to strike him dead. If you know the story, he takes the uh, 
things that belong to the temple and he desecrates them with a party and with debauchery and a hand appears out of nowhere from the heavenly realm and writes a decree against this king on the wall. And so Daniel comes and interprets things for him. But notice what is said, Daniel chapter five, verse 21. He was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was like that of a beast and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys and he was fed like a, uh, excuse me, Uh, go to Daniel chapter six. I'm reading still of Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel, uh, no, 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 that's right. Forgive me, forgive me. I'm right. I'm confusing my own self. My, uh, I do not have a typo with my verses here. My verses are right. Daniel is reminding uh, Belshazzar of Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather's uh, example, and how obviously he's not learning of it. Please bear with me. Verse 21, this is Daniel speaking about Nebuchadnezzar to his grandson. He was driven from among the children of man, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed like grass, like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house and have brought in before you You and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which did not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and who are all your ways, you have not honored. And if you continue to read, Belshazzar dies very soon after that in judgment. Daniel chapter six, King Darius of the Medes takes over. And Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. But notice what happens at the end, verse 25 of Daniel 6. Notice the words of the king who sees Daniel survive miraculously. The shut mouths from lions. Verse 25, then King Darius, or Darius, however you say it, wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in on the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to, to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. You have here in the book of Daniel, kings, that are learning their lesson. And what are they learning? They're learning who rules. You see, if you just read through this wonderful book, you will see God making it very obvious that he is in control. That even the pagan beastly kingdoms of the world are under his control. So much so this theme gets elevated even more so in a dream that Nebuchadnezzar is given of, of what the kingdoms of the earth would look like, him being among them. And then the progression of these kingdoms into a fourth kingdom that will be so powerful it will destroy all the other ones. It'll be the most powerful on the world, hinting to Rome that's coming, but also hinting to the the Rome-like kingdom of the Antichrist that will be global that is still to come. But in the vision 
a rock comes down from heaven and destroys the whole statue. And that continue grows forever and ever. And it never perishes. No one can stop it. And it takes over everything alluding to who the kingdom of God, the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of the son of man that the ancient of the days would hand the kingdom over to. And you go and read the new Testament and you find that Jesus is having his enemies being put under his feet until the time when all the enemies are defeated once and for all. That day is drawing near. Who rules? All kingdoms and kingdoms bow down to the one who rules. That is still true today. I want you now to see a description in the book of Daniel of God's kingdom and his people. And the kingdom is gonna be described in the midst of the most powerful, wicked, extreme kingdom that is still to come on this earth. As powerful being led by the full power of the devil and all of his minions. Listen to the description of this kingdom. Daniel chapter seven, verses 13 through 14. Daniel has a night vision and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like the son of man, that's Jesus. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him, to Jesus was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Thus he said, as the fourth beast, a vision of a beast, a fourth beast, you need to see this as the Antichrist kingdom that will be a global worldwide kingdom, the worst the world and most powerful the world has ever known is being described currently here thousands of years ago. There shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. As for the 10 horns out of his kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He, Antichrist, shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. Very important because then the book of Revelation starts to bring this time frame back up. But the court, what court? The heavenly court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. Who is that? His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Already, who rules? Which kingdom do you wanna be a part of? If you go back in the book of Daniel, I love this description. Listen to this. As I looked, this horn, the Antichrist, made war with the saints and prevailed over them. If we just stopped there, that would sound depressing, right? And prevailed over them. But then this beautiful word, until, until. You know, the whole book of First Peter we just got done with is like a until. You're gonna suffer a little while, a little while, temporary, until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high 
And see the words in red? And time came. And time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. You know, as the day draws near, there's, a, there's something that's very important in all of this. Time. All it takes is time. All we're waiting for is the clock to wind down to God's perfect timing. And we will possess a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom that we're already a part of, but we're waiting for the fulfillment of that. We're waiting for the full earthly and heavenly combined, all culminating experience of that, which will be forever. And it will do away with once and for all, all of these horrible kingdoms that still seem to be having their days also known as the times of Gentiles. The, the Gentiles are ruling God's world right now. And the Jews who rejected their Messiah are now being trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, as you're going to see next week in Matthew chapter 24. But a time is coming. A time is coming when God will put an end to all of this. And his people, Israel himself, and all of God's collected saints who believe in Jesus Christ will experience a kingdom that will overthrow all of the other ones. And time came. Has that time come yet, church? Not yet, but it is closer than ever. Closer than ever. So as the hour draws near, what should we be all the more about? You go to the book of Acts, Jesus has resurrected. And he spent time with the disciples In the book of Acts chapter one, the disciples are gathered together and they're talking with Jesus and right before he ascended into heaven and they, they had not yet get, they would not get to see him bodily again until they died and met him face to face in the afterlife. They asked him this, which I think is a very pointed, interesting question. So when they came together, they, his disciples asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Why would they even ask that, right? Because there's this great anticipation. They know the, the prophecy of Daniel. They know the excitement and the anticipation of God finally bringing in his rule, sitting on the throne of David again and ruling and reigning in the kingdom so they could possess it with him and rule and reign with him. It's very interesting. That's one of the reasons they, they rejected Jesus as Messiah because he was coming to put an end to sin, not set up the kingdom, which is what they wanted. Be the Messiah that will overthrow all of the wicked governments around us. That's what we want right now. And in God's plan, he says, no, no, no. In my plan, we're gonna deal with sin first. I'm gonna deal with sin and make a way for people to actually be saved before I bring in my wrath and my fury in what's called the day of the Lord because God is willing that no man perish but all come to repentance. All the beautiful patience of God in his plan. Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? We're going to come back to Jesus' response towards the end of our lesson today. So here's a question. So if the time is not yet, if the day's drawing near and it's not here, if there's this great anticipation of God's kingdom uh, fully taking over, how does that kingdom come about? Does the Bible speak to that? Can we talk about when? Do we know when? Well, let's, let's look at it. We know that the end will come in according to Daniel chapter nine. And that's where we're going to be. If you want to go ahead and turn Daniel chapter nine, the end of all time is going to come at the end of a seven week period, according to Daniel chapter nine, by the completion of seven weeks. Let's read Daniel chapter nine together. 
By the time you get to nine, Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar's had his dream about the kingdoms of the earth. Uh, Daniel has had dreams about these kingdoms, but he sees them as beasts, not as a great statue. He's been already warned about this antichrist, these other kingdoms that are coming that are going to be horrible. He's, he's seen uh, the Medes and Persians coming, uh, Alexander the Great in Matthew, uh, Daniel chapter 8. He's seen the, the culmination of it coming in Rome and then Rome uh, being kind of the kingdom that will permeate the rest of the world. And out of the same type of spirit of this powerful Roman uh, empire will be the same as the Antichrist that will be coming up again. And so we come to Daniel chapter 9 after all of that. Drop down to verse 24. Listen to what's said. Daniel's praying for repentance for his people. And an angel, Gabriel, comes to him and says this. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in a troubled time. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood. And to the end, there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for a week, for one week. And for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. What in the world are we reading? It sounds very important. There's things there that stand out. There's there's a lot going on here, and this is extremely important. Let's let's look at some things. In verse 24 we see Daniel as being uh, spoken to by an angel. Here's what's really interesting. You study this and it says in Daniel chapter nine that Daniel was uh, praying and he was reading the prophet Jeremiah. And the reason he began to pray such a prayer of repentance and heartfelt emotion towards God is because he's realizing according to the prophecy that was given by Jeremiah before him that prophesied of them going into a seven year cap, 70 year captivity that that captivity was coming to an end. When he did the math, he's like, whoa, the 70 years are almost up. So Daniel's heart is turned to pray for his people, for Israel. And at that time, the angel shows up and, and says to him, 70 weeks are decreed. So let's look at this. 70 weeks decreed. And decreed for who? This is very important. And if you've ever wondered, why are Christians making such a big deal about Israel? Why do they talk about the Jews and Jerusalem? Why are Christians always keeping their eyes on Jews and Jerusalem? It's because this decree was spoken concerning Daniel's people and his city. But the 70 weeks coincides with the history of all of mankind. The book of Daniel is like this mingling of the Gentile world and God's people. And you see this beautiful picture of God's people steadily just living through all of these kingdoms. Even after their desire to kill the small nation, this kingdom of Israel 
Specifically, the Jews just continue to make it through all of it. Where's Babylon? Where, where's Nebuchadnezzar? Where's his uh, uh, laws and his time? Where, where, where are they at? Gone. There are kingdoms that have come and passed away that we don't even know existed, that have been wiped off the face of the planet. But the one thing all the world still seems to know about is this small group of people called the Jews. Very interesting. 70 weeks are decreed about your people, Jews, and your city, Jerusalem. Very important. To do something, multiple things. Then he gives a description of what these 70 weeks which we're going to talk about the, time, the math of that here in a second, so bear with me. Then he's going to give a very clear description of what is going to be accomplished as a result of all 70 of these weeks. He says first, to finish the transgression. Oh, okay, well, finish has this idea of done, uh, but the transgression, what in the world are you talking about? You see the word transgression brought all through the book of Daniel, but that's concerning Israel's transgression when you see transgression, here's what you think. Rebellion against God, their own people. But this word transgression has a very general sense. You need to be thinking transgression all to all rebellion against God, to finish all rebellion against God. Well, how is God going to deal with this transgression, this rebellion? How are people rebelling against God? Look at this. The 70 weeks are decreed to do something else, to put an end to sin. Sin gets a little bit more specific from transgression. How are we rebelling against God? Through sin. Sin is doing what? Missing the mark, going our own way, living life the way we want to do it under our rule and our dominion, not his. So the whole world has sinned because Adam first sinned and it spread to all of us and now death is our wages. God has a goal to put an end to sin, which is how we're rebelling against God. But how is he going to put an end to sin? To atone for iniquity. So you have this decree going out, 70 weeks are declared to deal with all these, deal with rebellion against God, deal with the sin, which is how we're rebelling against God. And how is he going to deal with sin? He has to atone for it, which is this idea that God is going to be able to legally deal with this problem called sin. All the way in the Old Testament, God making it very well known that the problem of mankind is not that we don't follow God's law perfectly and so we should try really hard to follow God's law. God's law was given so we could be very much aware like God is the fact that we sinned and that's the problem. That's what's killing us and we need sin dealt with. But God is a just, perfect God. He's not gonna deal with sin in an underhanded, uh, backwards way that offends his law. He's going to atone for sin which should be making all of these Jews and everyone who would understand God's law that he's already set up a very small picture of how to atone through sins through the sacrifice of innocence. We all know the story, right? A Messiah, a perfect lamb of God will die in our place and atone for iniquity, atone for sin. These 70 weeks are meant to accomplish these things, but not just this. Look, to also bring in everlasting righteousness, right? Something happened, bring it in. There's this idea of like now everlasting righteousness is going to abound. It's gonna be what's ruling. It's this dominion. And then very specifically to anoint a most holy place. Now there's debate over by what is meant by all of these things, how to apply it. I think we should take all of this as a great, uh, a great sign of the end 
If you finish the book of Daniel, you will see that Daniel's wanting to know when all of these things take place. He's asking these questions, but he is told at some point to seal up, close up what you've been given, seal it up. It's not time to open it and finish that yet. And he tells Daniel, you are going to go to and fro, and then you're going to have your allotted place where you're going to wait until the end, until you get to partake in the kingdom. And so you have this this anticipation of the end of all things, the end of time. The book of Revelation even further helps us understand that the 70 weeks coincides with the end of all times because the book of Revelation is showing us what the end of all of it looks like. And you see in the book of Revelation, the seal that Daniel was sealing up is being unsealed and now it's time to open it, John. Who's worthy to open it? The lamb, Jesus. Now, here's what the end, and now it's time to finish the 70 weeks specifically that last week that we're still waiting on. Okay, let's keep going. You, you guys tracking so far, right? Has all of this happened yet? That's the question. What you believe about that will determine how you make up a, your own sense of the timeline of the end. I do not believe this has been completed. Some of it has. God's dealt with a lot of it, but God is bringing all of this in. Now I want you to turn, I want to turn your eyes to the, the number seven. All through the book of Daniel, seven comes up, seven. Uh, how, how long is Nebuchadnezzar a beast of the field? Seven years, right? Se- seven represents, you might hear someone say, seven represents perfection. Well, that's true if you're thinking about perfection in the terms of maturity. And if you're thinking about maturity in the points of complete. So when you see this seven, and then you see seven Ds, seven times 70. Then you hear Jesus saying, forgive people 70 times seven. Then you come to the book of Revelation, seven seals, seven bowls, seven, seven, seven churches, seven lampstands. God is using this number to make no mistake about it. We're talking about completing. We're not talking about partial. We're talking about ultimate maturation and completing. 70 weeks are declared about your people and your holy city, which is why the church of God needs to keep their eyes on Israel, on the Jews and Jerusalem, because that is our indicator of what God's doing, because he know he's working through his people. Now, one week equals what? Seven years. We know that because there, if the weeks mean days, none of this makes sense. But when you apply years to it, which if you go to the book of Leviticus, you can actually see an example of the Jews using a week to represent years. So that's even inductive in the scriptures. One week equals seven years. And when you put all the math together, it's astonishing. I mean, bone chillingly astonishing how it works right up to the very day of Jesus' crucifixion right? One week equals seven years, but he has decreed 70 weeks so that you need to be thinking seven times seven, which 490 years, 490 years are decreed for the Jews and Jerusalem. And these 490 years will bring about the the culmination of all of the earth. Daniel is given the 70 weeks with specific breaks. And here's how Daniel breaks it up, or he's given to it. He's given it in a one week. He's given it in seven weeks, then 62 weeks. That's 69 if you do the math. And then he's given it, finally, it's broken up, and it's given in that one final last week. And then what makes up these weeks? Several things. Let's, let me look back at Daniel 9, and let's look at it. 70 weeks have been decreed to bring about the completion of all of the things we just looked at. One, one week equals seven years. And he says this. 
He says when the weeks will start, when the 70-week uh, timeline will start. Verse 25, know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Okay, boom, Daniel, no one understand that you can actually set your, your, your watch to when the 70 years will start at this point from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. Uh, well, do we know? We're pretty sure we know that he's talking about Nehemiah chapter two when King Artaxerxes is giving the command in the go ahead to go and rebuild the temple. It matches up perfectly. That would be about 444, 445 BC. And he says, know that from the going out of the word to, to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, you need to be thinking Jesus, a prince, thinking Antichrist, there shall be seven weeks, then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat and a troubled time. We don't really know why he breaks it up like that, but within 69 weeks, basically, within 69 weeks, which would be 483 years, they should see the temple rebuilt, the Messiah come, and the Messiah killed. Already in the book of Daniel, that was given to them. And not only was it told what would happen, it was given down to the very day of when it would happen. Actually, I've, I've heard of many Jews today who have come to faith in Jesus, accepting him as Messiah, because of looking back at this very prophecy and being, their hand being forced to be like, wow, he was truly our Messiah. Let me, let me give it to you in a different way. Let me show you this. Here's a line. Imagine that, that right there. Imagine this is the word to build the temple in 445 BC, Nehemiah. Boom, the 70 weeks begins. Then here, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey and later is crucified. You have 69 weeks, 483 years. When you do the math, you consider the leap years, you consider the right calendar, it, it equals up to the very day in AD 33 when Jesus is crucified. It's a marvelous thing. I, I, I make an assumption that maybe, maybe we as believers, we know this, like we, we've known, but maybe you're sitting here, you've never been presented this, you've never seen this. You mean, you're telling me back in the book of Daniel, Daniel was given a prophecy and he was given the exact number of years that would lead up to the Messiah coming and him being cut off? Absolutely. And it works out. Now, 69 weeks matches up with the Messiah coming and being cut off, the anointed one. But here's where the question comes in. Where's that last week? All right, so we, we're clear about the first seven weeks. We're clear about the 62 weeks after the seven weeks. So you have 49 years, uh, and then you have the other years that equal that 43. Okay, all of that adds up to Jesus coming. But, but what about that 70th week? What about the the final week, it, it, well, if you, if you apply the 70th week, that next, last seven years, and you have it just go after Jesus died, it really lands on nothing. It just lands within the time of the book of Acts somewhere. And so that leads us to think, well, when is the 70th week happening? Which is why Daniel has it broken up that way. Which is why he gives so much description about an anti the, the the ruler of the people who would come and destroy the temple. Which is why he gives information about uh, the time, times, time and a half. 
why we then think about the little horn that Daniel, all of that that Daniel was told about this fourth kingdom and this, this ruler who speaks blasphemies, who's different than every other ruler that's come on the earth, all of that then is reserved for this final week. And then you go to the year nine, you go to the year 70 AD, the temple is destroyed. The temple where sacrifices and everything made is destroyed totally ransacked and the temple hasn't been built since then. The Jews have been without a nation since then, which is why you you need to not make any small deal about the fact that Israel was made a nation again in 1948 in our generation. This is why people are cluing in. Don't let people say, ah, just bad, whatever. It'll be another three billion years before you we're going to read Second Peter 3 at the end, and you're going to see that that spirit is the spirit of Antichrist concerning these things. Do not be deceived by that. We are told to press more and more into anticipation of this day. We see for the last 2,000 years, the church is being built. Gentiles are being included. And then we believe that the Antichrist will eventually be revealed according to Second Thessalonians, that the man of lawlessness will be revealed after a great apostasy of God's church all over the world. After a great rebellion, there will be a great apostasy and out of that will come the revealing of the man of lawlessness as, as said in Second Thessalonians. And he will be the one who fulfills this last week. You're gonna hear more about that week next week. We're gonna talk more about it. Uh, but now we're trying to get our mind wrapped around all of this into the overview. One week, seven years, all that together, 70 weeks, at the end of that 70 weeks, eternity, judgment comes in. The sheeps and the goats judgment and the, the bema seat and the judgment seat of Christ and all of that, the end has come and the kingdom as according to Revelation, the kingdom will be here on the earth and the saints will rule with God. But all of this is Jewish. All of this is Israel people, Gentile brothers and sisters. All of this is God's plan that has been set up through the nation of Israel, through the Jews and concerning Jerusalem. And the Bible ends with the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. We have been included into this plan, according to Romans 9, 10, and 11. That's where you want to go look and you'll find out something strange has happened. When Jesus was cut off, you find out he was cut off, according to John 1, by his very own people or the ones who who crucified him. It was the Jews who said, his blood be on our hands. And now for the last 2,000 years, his blood has been on his people who rejected him, who were supposed to be a part of possessing this kingdom. And so currently now though, God is taking this gospel message and he's looking for worshipers who worship him in spirit and truth. And there's this expectation according to the prophecy that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, the Gentile inclusion comes in, that there'll be a great revival, not of just Jews here and there, but a great revival of the Jewish nation to turn their hearts and accept Jesus as their Messiah. And that will all take place within this last week, according to prophecy. Uh, Confusing? Tracking with me? Easy peasy? Lemon squeezy? Right? More about the 70th week to come, right? Uh, We're going to get into Matthew 24 in the next two weeks. And then the book of Revelation, like it's going to be focusing on that last week. So you'll get more about that here to come next week. Okay. Did you see the irony of that? I just, 70th week, next week. Wah, wah, wah. Okay. Let me come back to this uh, verse here. 
Let me bring, your, bring you back to what the uh, disciples asked Jesus before he ascended. What did he say? He said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? What did he say? He said, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. So why are we sitting here talking about how we can know when, when he says it's not for us to know? Well, the exact time frame, the exact time frame, we don't know, but he has given us enough to know how and what to look for. And especially as we get into Matthew chapter 24, Luke 21, you'll see more that God does want us to be ready. He has given us things to look for. He says, but... Now, this gets to our personal application of why God has not just brought about the end. He's not just brought about the 70th week now. What are you doing, God? He tells the disciples, basically, no, it's not time. And I'm not going to tell you when. But here's what you need to focus on, disciples. And the whole book of Acts represents it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. I think it's a very important passage of scripture because I think God wants us uh, here thousands of years later to not doubt that our Savior is going to come back physically and literally in the same way he was seen ascending, he will be seen coming and he will be here again on earth and we await that day. But now the Holy Spirit has come into the world and dwells in the temple of people. And he's trying to accomplish something through you and me. And first Peter spoke really into what that was. People are lost and dying and the wrath of God is on the whole world and the world is condemned already according to John three, just like we were condemned until we met the gospel and God quickened our, our soul by his spirit and brought us into his family and saved us. How thankful are we for that? How glad and overwhelmingly appreciative and grateful and abounding with thanksgiving are we for our God who at the right time came and brought the gospel to us and and woke us up to the truth and saved us from hell and his wrath to come. God wants to save more people. God wants to save more people. We, We want that day to come so we can be with him but we also see his plan of bringing people into his kingdom, making a body, making a kingdom to even be able to enjoy together. And so he's left us with his Holy Spirit so we can go out in the same influence that Jesus had to spread his, his word throughout the world and save people, save souls and bring more into the family. God's people hear this. As the day draws near, all the more what? Get your Bibles ready. All the more cling to the words of 2 Peter 3. Let's read and then pray. If you've been here through our first Peter study, this is the second letter. Peter writes to these churches and he's even gonna mention that. 
Notice the urgency with which he writes concerning the things we're talking about. Second Peter chapter three, Peter says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished Noah's day. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, not water, fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any perish, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord, which is God's day of wrath poured out on on the earth, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people are you to be in lives of holiness and godliness waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Everlasting righteousness, bringing that in. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, amen, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow In the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. I pray that you would help us to be the people that wait you eagerly, that we would be worthy of the exhortation of Hebrews chapter 10, that we would be the people who are more eagerly and all the more anticipating your coming, eagerly and all the more encouraging one another, eagerly and all the more stirring one another to good works, eagerly and all the more not neglecting to meet together, 
but being serious about our relationship with one another, our relationship with you and the time that is to come. Awaken us from any stupor that has made us forget the purpose of being lights here for people lost in darkness as you have been for us and use us as your instruments to bring others into the family. Thank you, God, for this and thank you for your control over all kingdoms. Your dominion lasts forever and will never come to the end. To your glory alone, in Jesus' name, amen.